0: Thank you, Sam and Jr. We appreciate you guys leading us in worship this morning. And so um, we are going to continue with our uh, study from Philippians. And um, we began a couple weeks ago, and we were uh, talking about uh, how it is that the deepest longings of our heart um, are lasting satisfaction, not just immediate gratification. And so we said that we often settle because we can't imagine Uh, enduring joy in times of hardship. C.S. Lewis said, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are just merely substitutes for joy. And so Philippians is a book about looking for joy and finding it. And, And we said that we were created for joy. And if we miss it, then we have missed the very reason that God created us. But Looking for joy is something that we, as we do, it has to somehow um, be congruous with human pain right and human suffering, and so we we talked about how the fact that looking for joy begins with with us having confidence that God is working even when it seems like maybe life isn 't working and We said last week that joy for the Christian can be found in the proclamation of gospel of the gospel and in the the providence of God, and so as we wrapped up last week, we said that God has given us the gift of belief. But he's also given us the gift of suffering because it's against that backdrop of suffering that we begin to see his goodness and his grace. And so um, as we begin in Philippians chapter two this this week, we're going to we're going to see that um, there is definite and certain encouragement from Christ, that there is certain comfort from love, that there's certain participation in the spirit, that there's certain affection and sympathy. And so we're going to see that all of these things Fit together. Um, For those of you who grew up where uh, maybe snow fell once or twice a year or more, um, probably at some point as a child, you did a science experiment where you took out a piece of black felt or a piece of of black construction paper and you let the, the snow fall on that black piece so that you could see against that black background. The beauty and the intricacies of a snowflake, right? Um, suffering is God's gift to us because it is uh, the background where we see and we appreciate the encouragement that comes from the, suffer- from, from the spirit in our suffering and from um, the sympathies that he offers. And so we're going to be um, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. And And in Philippians 2, it says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love. And let me share my screen with you guys. So, um, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is um, a little bit of an unexpected turn because Paul has been talking about us looking for joy and finding it. And and here he, he says, um, hey, since you have the means for joy and suffering, now Make my joy complete, not go and and find whatever measure of comfort you can. Um, We get the idea that our joy stems not only from the proclamation of of the gospel and the providence of God, but it also comes from uh, us participating with other Christians and specifically uh, those who lead us a few years ago, um, I sat down for lunch with a friend who wanted to hear about uh, our church planting experience. And this was a guy who was thinking about planting a church and he just wanted to go in with his eyes wide open and he wanted to know the good things and he wanted to know the bad things. And he was asking a lot of questions about how we got started and, and uh, some of the bad things that happened as we planted our first church in Los Angeles. And so um, I, as, as I was talking to him, he was like, hey, give it to me straight. I want the, you know, like, what are the hardest things and all that? And how did you get started? How do you know God was calling you? And so I, I talked about how God had begun a movement in our hearts to and had begun to prepare us to, to plant in Los Angeles. And how when we finally felt confident that this was what God was doing and it wasn't just something that we were like imagining, it had been a year of God putting this burning in our heart, um, that we went to our community group and we began to share it with them. And we said, here's what we think that God is doing. And I remember uh, one lady in our group who, we love and and she's not a confrontational person at all and so it was kind of a surprising question when when Laura said so what happens if you move to los angeles and nobody gets saved and nobody's lives are changed and you don't gather a core group and then you run out of money and in 5 years you have to come back home and i remember Tanya and i smiled at each other and just saying well then we you know we were obedient to what god was calling us to do and somehow that interchange more than anything kind of confirmed in the heart of everybody in our community group like God's doing this and and they began to to say hey we need to work through the the affirmation of this and we need to get our uh, the elders in our church involved and and um and so I went on to tell this friend over lunch about some of that process and they talked about how our first attempt at planting failed miserably, and it was division in the church that blew things up, and then we had to start all over again from scratch, and and I talked about the challenges of growing a church in an area that is is mostly hostile um, towards the gospel and is very transient. It just turns over like 25% per year out of the west side of LA, move away, and I, I, I talked about the, the sense of inadequacy I had as I felt um, like I, I sat on um, a chair in a room full of marijuana smoke trying to talk a USC student out of taking her own life. And I, I talked about um, just the, having to juggle multiple jobs and and some of the relational challenges that went. And even with our kids, the challenges that they had of growing up in a neighborhood where there were no kids and being in a church where there were no kids. And, and I, I talked about watching people that we had grown to love move away and 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 just all the things that went with it and I, I remember him saying man that sounds really tough i bet you regret planting and i was like regret planting are, are you kidding me it's the best thing we ever did sarah that usc student who was going to commit suicide five days later she placed her faith in jesus and then we got to baptize her and her good friend steve and now 15 years later Um, Sarah is uh, a mommy of a two-year-old and a newborn, um, and she's walking in faith. And, And we taught a Pepperdine student how to share his faith. And within a week, he had led one of his classmates, a Muslim girl, to faith just because he was bold enough to go to her and say, hey, I've been praying for you. And here's the the message of the gospel, the good news that I think you can hear. And she heard it and received. Um, God used uh, our studies together to, to prompt Tanya and I, well, specifically me, to finally yield to God in having a baby. And then when we shared that publicly, Zach and Joni said, you know what, we're living in the same unbelief Tim and Tanya did. We're going to like lay that aside and have a baby and and now they have four and and we watched God do amazing miracles in our church we watched um and and we began to expect that when we prayed for Unbelievable things, God would show up and do them. we There was two guys in our church who um, for a full year, they just wrestled with the difference between organized religion and true faith in jesus and after a full year, both of them, within ten days of each other, came to faith and we got to celebrate that baptism and and i just I shared with this guy with tears in my eyes that that I felt very much like um, when when John, in his third letter, said, "I have no greater." Uh, joy than to watch my children walk in truth. I was like I I we had people move away. Missy moved to Texas and joined church staff. Derek moved to Florida and became the editor of Relevant magazine. Uh, the Bryants moved to to London and they helped plant a church there. And and all these people that we connected with there was no greater joy than watching them walk in truth. As Paul is writing to the Philippians, he is writing to a group of people that he has invested heavily in, that he loves, that he watches and he says, man, I, you have made my joy grow, now make my joy complete. And in asking for this, he's not asking, um, I want something from you, or I want you to do something for me. He's saying, I want you to complete my joy in in the way that you are unified, as a church, and the way that you are humble in the church. And so he begins in, in Philippians chapter two, verse one, and he says, so, or some of your Bibles might say, therefore, and anytime you see the word therefore, it's pointing backwards, and you should see what it's there for, right? So he says, therefore, and he's pointing back to chapter one, verse 17, or I mean, verse 27, where it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come or see you or, or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so now he's, he's saying, so therefore, because you're going to stand together for the gospel, if there is any encouragement and, and the way that that is translated um, it's two little Greek words, if and any um, the it's a and tis it, it 38 times in scripture, it's if any, and uh, more than 100 times, it's it's translated um, since they're certain. Um, And I think that that's probably the better translation here, because there's no question that, as he says... Um, If you read it this way, since there is certain encouragement in Christ, since there is certain comfort from love, since there is certain participation in the spirit, since there is certain affection and sympathy, complete my joy. He is giving us the indicative that comes before the imperative. He is giving us the thing that says this is is what is available to you. This is what enables you. This is is this is the position that you're coming from so that you can do the thing I'm about to put in front of you. And so he he says here's how you're enabled. You are enabled because there's encouragement in Christ. You're enabled because there's comfort from his love. You're enabled because there's participation in the spirit. You're enabled because he has given his affection and his sympathy. And and so he says um uh, having the same love being a full core of one mind um that that we are to um, uh, complete his joy by being of the same mind of the same mindset, um thinking the same way, and so as as he begins he says look you 're going to complete my joy by being unified in the church and and you 're going to be unified by the way that you think he says um, uh, having the same." love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is having the same mindset, having the same love or heart, having the same spirit, the same psyche, um, having the same mindset. You're unified in the way that you think and you're unified in the way that you act. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others so you are going to be unified in the way that you act not doing anything out of rivalry humbly counting others more significant than yourselves not looking just at your own interests but at the interests of others and he says have this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men Paul understands as he says do nothing from selfish ambition um, or conceit uh, or but in humility count others more significant he understands that the 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 church of philippi is a church that really struggles with conflict resolution when we get to chapter 4 there's going to be these two women who are both in ministry and paul looks at both of them and says these are good people and they are are good in ministry roles, but they can't get along. And so the church of Philippi has done nothing to resolve it. And and so Paul is saying, hey, you got to get this thing sorted out. And so he knows that nothing is going to rob their joy more than division. And and so he wants them to participate in, in his joy and in the joy of other Christians. And to do that, they're going to have to be unified in the body of Christ. Satan wants to divide us. Satan knows that, that uh, divided, we cannot stand. And so Revelation calls him the accuser of the brethren. And that is, he stands before God and he accuses us and says, hey, look what Tim Wagner just did. That guy calls himself a Christian. But he also stands next to us and whispers in our ear and says, hey, Kirby Bradford. Can, can you see what Tim Wagner just did? Can you really work with that guy, right? I mean, so, so he is the accuser before, before God and he's the accuser so, like to us of each other. And, and it, it works itself out in ways that that sometimes we fail to see. A few years ago, uh, a buddy of mine was planting in Hollywood. And as he planted, his church grew really fast. He, he had a handful of people that said, we're gonna move in. We're gonna uh, be part of the community. We're, we're gonna reach an area that is is lost. And, and we're going to do everything we can to, to kind of, you know, put all of our effort here. And so this group of about 25 people moved in from the suburbs into Hollywood, and they began this church. And in just a matter of months, it went from those 25 people to over 200 people. And so suddenly they had all the resources that they need to to be able to um, really make an impact on, on their community and to to reach out to the poor and the needy, and there were there were some really cool things happening out of the, that church. I remember one time walking along Hollywood and Highland and seeing a guy out with a grill and he he was giving away free hot dogs and burgers primarily to like street workers like sex traffickers and 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 here here's um uh, like women. Come in and they 're eating and he's offering free free food and I, was, and I just said, Hey, what are you doing and he's like i 'm part of this church, and uh, we want to serve uh the least of these and he's like women stuck in the sex industry uh often like they don't get decent nutrition and whatever they're they're sometimes strung out on drugs and we're we're here to offer them the love of Jesus and to be able to talk to them while they eat a hot dog about what it is that God could do in their heart and I just remember being amazed by that and thinking this is astonishing that this this church grew so fast and they're doing these cool things. Well, within a short amount of time, that group of 25 people began to murmur and they began to say, you know, um, we, there's so many people now that our leader isn't spending enough time with us and he's uh, investing in all these other people and we're just going to pick up and go. And those core 25 people left. And there's Chris, stranded with a, a church of 175 people, either brand new to the faith or not in the faith. And, and you have to ask, like, did that bring him joy? I, I don't think so. And this is why Paul says, if you want my joy to be complete, then you have to be unified in the church. And he knows something about maintaining unity in the church. And he knows that if we're going to live in unity in the church, then we have to live in humility as a church. So he says, complete my joy um, by being unified in the church. And then he goes on and he says, have this mind among yourselves. And and so he's going to talk about being um, humble as a church. And he says, have this mind or have this attitude among yourselves. And I think that word among is important because the word among lets us know that Paul is writing um, in a context that is corporate. He is he's not writing to individuals. He is, he is it, part of why... Philippians becomes kind of a book of Christian slogans, is because everybody grabs it individualistically and says, "How do I take this verse for me personally?" Instead of saying, "How do we take these verses together corporately?" And so he says, "Have this mind among yourselves." It, there's a there's a corporate nature to to his instruction. It's um, uh, the the church is not like a fitness center. Um, I, like it's not a spiritual fitness center. If you walk into a fitness center and um, and you begin working out and you start to shed pounds and you start to gain muscle mass and like when you walk into the fitness center, you're looking for what machines are available, what stations can I go to, and you're thinking about yourself. And then when somebody walks by and maybe it's their first day and you see them flabby and you've shed off pounds, you go, man, I'm doing better than that guy, Right that's not the mindset of the church. The church is a body. So if we are a, a healthy kidney, we can't look at a lung that is is failing and say, I'm doing better than that guy, I'm okay. Because if that lung fails, the whole body fails. And so we are not like a fitness center. We are a body and we have to look and say if if someone else is failing, I'm going to fail too. So have this mind together among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And so when when he gives this example, he says, look, I, I understand that you need an extreme example. and And so he goes to the example of Christ, and he's not doing a study in Christology. He, this is not, we're going to work on the doctrine of Christ here. He's saying, you need a perfect role model if you're going to be humble in the church. And so he says, Christ was an example in his nature. He says, um, he thought, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is, um, he looked like God. He was in form like God. And yet he did not think equality. That is the title, the title of Yahweh, I am, the title that God, is, God the Father reserves for himself. He didn't do what Satan did, which is Satan said, I'm going to have that title. I'm going to take it from him. Jesus, even though he was exactly like God in the form, like he was in, by his nature, like God, he said, I am not going to try to take God's title. And so I, I'm the, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And then it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, as as theologians read that, they get hung up on that word emptied. And and there is actually a, a whole heresy around the word emptied where um, people get stuck on that and they think, oh, he emptied himself of his godhood. And they, they jump straight to that and they start talking about the hypostatic union and all these different things. And and. That is not, when you read the passage, if you just read the passage the way that it's written, then you understand that's not his focus. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. This is about his appearance. It's about his position. It's about his possessions. It's that he was willing to lay aside his form of godliness in heaven. He was well, willing to lay aside the possessions that went with being in heaven and, and to take on human form. And, and it's, so it's about his likeness. It's, about, it's not about his essence, if you will. And so um, uh, this is Jesus saying, um, I understand that um, I am going to take the position of a servant in my position, and in my possessions. And then it says that that he, being found in human form, humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and this is Christ's sacrifice. It's it's about him understanding his role in all of this, that in, in God's providence, his role was to suffer. In God's providence, his role was to be a sacrifice. And in God's providence, he ultimately uh, laid down his life and was willing to do the unthinkable to accomplish God's goals. And so it says, therefore, and so there it is again. He's pointing upwards and saying, hey, as a result of this, therefore, God has highly exalted him. And so you see his example. Now you're going to see his exaltation. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. Jesus was humble about his nature and he wouldn't take Yahweh's title. So God said, I'm going to give you a better title. And he says, um, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was humble about his position. And so God said, I'm going to give you a better, a more majestic position. And every knee is going to bow to you. Jesus was humble about his role. And, and he was willing to sacrifice for everyone. And so, so God says, I'm going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. That is, he's not the sacrifice of everyone. He's the master of everyone because he was willing to be the sacrifice for everyone. And so as you look at this you say this is what what he is giving us as an example. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the dark So, I apologize if I have lost you for a little bit. I was preaching to myself, apparently. Um, uh, so, um, uh, let's see if I can share this again. All right. So I'm not exactly sure where I dropped out and where it picked up. It just. Beeped at me when uh, when I came back in, um, so uh, I, I was saying that that uh, Jesus um, was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And and so Jesus was humble about his nature, didn't take God's title, so God gave him a better title. Jesus was humble about his position, and and, and God gave him a better position, a supreme, majestic position. Jesus was humble about his role, and God gave him a better role and made him lord over everyone where he had sacrificed for everyone. And so uh, as, as we look at this, we, we say, Um, how is it that that, um, uh, we apply this? And I think we have to apply this corporately and we have to... And he had uh, Jennifer Knapp on. And Jennifer Knapp was a Christian recording artist that it had come out that there was um, some uh, sexual sin and some things that she was involved in. And so there was a pastor that came on Larry King to to confront, um, uh, to, to confront Jennifer Knapp. And I, I remember being sad about her defensiveness, but um, uh, hearing her say to, uh, to this pastor, hey, I have... Christian friends and I have a church and there are church elders that are involved in my life and you aren't any of those things to me. Um, so I think you're confronting me on television, um, let alone, um, you know, like confronting me at all because I don't know you. I I think, um, our position in Christ's righteousness is something that should not be abused. Um, are, are there are there people that we confront in love? Um, and and you know, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Absolutely, we do that. But we do that within our own church, and we don't abuse um, our position to go after people who are outside of our body. When it comes to uh, our possessions, um, we're to be humble in what we possess, which means that we are willing to lay it aside for the good of others. This has been something, it has been a real joy to watch our church do this well, Um, to watch as people have humbly laid aside what they have to help other people. Um, Just this week, Kirby sent me a text and he said, hey, I want you to know $3,300 has come in this week for For the benevolence fund, for people who want to help people who are out of work who are are struggling, who are wrestling to pay their bills and and i i, I it was a, it was this amazing I wanted to cry, I was just like, "Lord, this is astonishing what you 're doing it's it 's our people doing what it is that you have called us to do, which is to live in humility about our positions and our possessions and so um, uh, I, I think together we need to be then humble about our role with Jesus. um, He was humble about his role and he was sacrificial. But I think that when this is the part where um, uh, the division and those kinds of things happen is if we're not humble about our role, division can sneak in and we think I'm more important than that person. Um, Really, our sinful choices come from not being humble about our role. When we choose sin, we're saying. I'm the master, and Jesus serves my purposes. I'm an island, and nobody is affected by what I do. And humility says the opposite of that. Humility says, I deserve nothing, and Jesus gave me everything. I lay down my desires, and 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 it's because Jesus deserves everything, and I deserve nothing. And ironically, when we do that, then, then it says that, that God gives us everything. It holds back nothing. That is, is the paradox of dying to live. It's, is, as we lay things down and we say, he's the king, he gives things back and, and says, here, use these for my purposes. And so um, uh, God has exalted uh, uh, um, Jesus. And, and God, the scripture says, if, if we are humble, he will exalt us. First Peter says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards another, um, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James four says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I think, um, one of the places this plays out is some of us have, uh, hopes or expectations or goals or dreams for our church. And that's all really good. Like we would love to see some things change. Like we would love to be worshiping together. We would love, uh, for our church to be larger and have more influence. We would love for our church to have a permanent meeting place. And all of those things are great things, but all of those things can be destructive things if they become the means or the measure that we base our success on, or we base our, 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 our spiritual, um, I don't know, our spiritual wins on. Right. Um, I, I think what we want is for Mercy Chapel never to be a place where we measure our, success by nickels and noses by how much money comes in or how many people sit in in chairs how many people show up on a zoom call right um we want to measure our excess our success by our ability to be and to make disciples because that's what it's all about and if god gives us the ability to grow and be more influential to god be the glory and if god does not to god be the glory and if he gives us a permanent place to god be the glory and if he doesn't To God be the glory. At the end of the day, it's about his glory. And it's about the good of the people that he is drawing to himself. And so we want to lean into whatever he's doing. And we are going to say, um, uh, we are submitting our role. We're submitting our wants. We're submitting our desires. And we're willing to sacrifice whatever he's calling us to sacrifice so that at the end of the day, he might be exalted. And so um, uh, how is it that we bring joy to the Christians around us and to our leaders. We, we bring joy by being unified in the church and we bring joy by being humble as a church. And there are two sides of the same coin, really. To, to live in unity um, in the church, we, we must be humble as a church. And to be humble as a church, then we must live in unity as a church. And so um, if we do that, if we um, are unified in the church and we are humble as a church, then then Kirby and I and Jesus along for this is going to say, "I have no greater joy than to see my children, to see Mercy Chapel walking in truth, because we are living out the thing that that God has called us to, and we will find joy in the proclamation of God, of the gospel, the providence of God. We will find joy in." sharing that joy with other people, of them experiencing the joy of of us giving them joy through the way that we are humbled, through the way that we serve, through the way that we're unified, through the way that we are together. And so um, uh, I, I have to say um, uh, to this point, um, you as Mercy Chapel have brought me a great deal of joy and watching you in this crisis um, has been an amazing experience. And so I will say with Paul, make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by, by committing to unity in the church and humility as a church. Father, we love you and we thank you for the word of God. And we thank you that it is the power of God and the salvation Lord, we um, don't often talk about Jesus as an example because we don't ever want to say that Jesus is just our example. But in this, we have to look at Jesus, our example, and say that he lived in every way like we did, and yet he never sinned. He was tried and he suffered and, and he experienced those things so that we might know that we have a high priest that is has experienced all those things for us and, and, uh, can help us and sympathize with us through it. And so Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his example, but we also thank you for his sacrifice. And we thank you that his death on the cross covered our sins, that his death and his resurrection raised us to new life and that we are now, identified in him, and we have the new life of Christ within us, and that the Holy Spirit lives within us, and that Jesus prays for us, and that one day Jesus will come, and he will uh, take us to himself, that where he is, we may be also. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, and so we pray that you will increase our faith, because the word of Christ is proclaimed,